just let it go. My mom said this to me hundreds of times as a fiery teenager and a fiery young man who tends to get worked up over conflict and shoot my mouth off before I've even had a chance to think things through. And let me just say that traditionally I've had a very hard time letting go of past offenses. If someone wrongs me or someone close to me, it's really not very easy for me to move past that unless I feel that justice has been measured out. And usually that's the kind of justice that I want and that I define. That kind of justice that means they should suffer just the same way that I or my loved one has suffered. And even if and when my one-sided form of justice is actually served up, I usually then find it easier to still hold on to some kind of grudge. The first line of chapter 79 of the Tao Te Ching is painfully obvious, at least to me. It says, after a bitter quarrel, some resentment must remain. Latsu then follows this with a question that probably has baffled each of us at some point in our lives. He says, what can one do about it? And just like my mom, Latsu's advice is basically, let it go. The wise person keeps their half of the bargain, he says, or they focus on what they can do right, and they do not exact their due or take responsibility for the other person's response or lack of response. The man of virtue or woman of virtue performs their part without requiring anything of others in the form of obligation or expectations. Now, like so much of what Lao Tzu has to say, this requires some nuance. There are times where uh, we can't simply let it go in the traditional sense or the literal sense of the word. But I think in general, it's a very good principle to live by. Conflict can be either an opportunity to dominate or to exact revenge on people, or it can be a chance to pursue restorative justice, to find places for growth in our own lives. I think Christ himself is the ultimate example of how to deal with the ultimate conflict, which is that of a broken world and a loving God. Chapter 79's Taoist conflict resolution can easily be made to fit with the teachings of Christ himself, and so I think this is just one more reason why I read and love the Tao Te Ching, that ancient book of Chinese wisdom and spirituality that didn't draw me away from a Christ-centered faith, but actually helped me hold on to it. Hi, my name's Corey Farr, and this is episode 64 of A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. In this series, we've been working through this little book, uh, chapter by chapter. There are 81 chapters, so we're actually just two episodes from, well, from finishing the book here, and I don't quite know what's next, although we'll start to talk about that in a few weeks. But, um, Yeah, we are talking about all the connections between this ancient Chinese philosophy, which is not a religious text, despite what some people think, or the misconception, and connections, things that we can learn um, as a Jesus follower, but also um, just sort of general principles for life that so many people who are not Christians, uh, who listen to this show, have benefited from. 
if you haven't listened before, the best thing to do, go back to episode one. I say this every time. Uh, it's a briefer episode. I think it's like less than half an hour, and it gives sort of an overview of um, how I found the book, what is the Tao Te Ching, and, uh, and sort of what's the philosophy or the, the, um, the mindset behind this show. Uh, you can also check it out at my blog at coryfar.com. There's a link to that in the show notes where I've got lots of articles. Uh, I'm no longer actively blogging, but got um, quite a back catalog of articles on faith, spirituality, uh, poetry, and then also a blog series that sort of summarizes the first uh, few dozen episodes of this series. Anyway, this week we'll be looking at chapter 79, as I said, which is held together by the idea or the theme of human conflict. In the first half of the episode, we're going to talk about what I'm calling conflict resolution the Taoist way, which is, as we heard, essentially setting aside our pride and desire for vengeance and then being willing to focus on our own responsibility and then how we can grow through that conflict. And then in the second half of the episode, I'm going to uh, talk about where this gets its title. Uh, We'll look at how the heart of God fully displayed in Christ shows us that peace is worth the risk, no matter what it costs us. So let's go ahead and dive right in by hearing chapter 79 from Jia Fufeng's translation. After a bitter quarrel, some resentment must remain. What can one do about it? Therefore the sage keeps his half of the bargain but does not exact his due. A man of virtue performs his part, but a man without virtue requires others to fulfill their obligations. The Tao of Heaven is impartial. It stays with good men all the time. At the heart of this chapter is the nature of human conflict. And as with so many chapters of the Tao Te Ching, it feels either overly simplistic or impossibly sort of obscure and opaque at the first glance, depending on how you choose to read it and what you take away from it and which lines you focus on. Uh, Lao Tzu's point, though, I think, as I said, is a simple one, and it's nobody walks away from a conflict unscathed. It's rare, I think, that any serious conflict is resolved, truly resolved, without some level of leftover resentment or baggage. And at the very least, one might find one's guard up in future interactions with the other person so as to avoid getting hurt again, a little bit of suspicion or mistrust. I think that's natural, and depending on what it looks like, it can be a healthy defense mechanism, but generally it's another symptom of brokenness in the world. I think there's really only one exception that comes to my mind, and that's those kind of conflicts where it becomes clear very quickly that really the whole thing was just a complete misunderstanding, and then both sides are able to walk away with a better understanding of the other person and no hard feelings, but that is not often the case. And I think this problem of lingering resentment is often fueled by our human need to get even with the other person. In the resolution of the conflict, both sides need to give something that's just a given. It's an actual compromise or just sort of an extending of forgiveness and a humbling of oneself or giving grace to the other person. 
And then if we feel that the other party hasn't given as much as we have, and let's be honest, we often feel that way, then most likely we're going to harbor some bad feelings. But just as Lao Tzu's problem and his point is simple, I think his solution is simple as well, but that doesn't mean it's easy. The wise person focuses on what they have to give without taking a personal agenda of making the other person accountable uh, to give as much as we think they should give. The wise person simply accepts the experience and the other person as someone in the middle of their own journey. And if they haven't invited us into their journey to give them advice or counsel, then the wise person knows that we have no reason to try to force ourselves or our opinions on them. And as a side topic, this, by the way, is my general guiding principle for things like evangelism and discipleship. If we have not been invited into someone's life, there's only so far we can and should go um, in terms of telling them how to live it or expecting them to live a certain way. What we can do is live our lives as an example. We can shine our light, so to speak, to the best of our ability, but we don't need to make ourselves responsible for the actions of other people. Now, again, there is nuance required there, particularly if you are, I don't know, raising children or in a position of leadership. There is a level of responsibility there. But again, in general, taking ownership of others' choices um, in an unhealthy way is something we do all too often. And I think even though this can feel like letting the other person off the hook, in a sense it's really letting ourselves off the hook. David Jones, in uh, his book The Way in the Word, which is sort of a riffing, a paraphrasing, a loosely inspired Christian doubt aging, he says, blaming is a game that has no ending. It goes on and on forever. Learn appropriate responsibility for yourself and the roles you play, and then you won't be far from walking the way. We free ourselves from unneeded stress and frustration by stepping away from the blame game as much as we possibly can. Not only that, but we actually allow ourselves to focus on a much more important task, which is our own personal growth. We can focus on learning to do what is right rather than pointing out where other people went wrong. Now, let me qualify this, as I usually have to do on this show, because... uh, broad blanket statements usually need qualification. I'm not saying that we should never assign blame or that we should never seek to hold other people accountable and or that we should never work for changing broken systems, especially when it comes to abusive or destructive leadership or family members. But again, as a general rule, focusing on our own responses rather than trying to take emotional ownership of other people's actions is a much better way to go. And it is simultaneously more noble and more humbling. As Ron Hogan's translation says, What is the point of carrying a grudge? The masters care about what they owe other people, and not what other people owe them. And this passage got me thinking about Christ and the way he handled the sort of cosmic conflict resolution problem or at least half of this passage did. I don't want to say that Christ cared about what he owed humanity as though he owed us anything, but he certainly chose not to care or to care in a very uh, 
unintuitive way about what we owe him. Of course, depending on your view of the atonement, that might be borderline blasphemy. The most commonly taught form of atonement theory, which is essentially trying to theologically explain how um, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ uh, reconciled humanity to God. The most common theory is called penal substitution, and it's well known enough that it probably only needs a brief simplification here, even if you're not familiar with the the official phrase, but penal substitution says that we owed God a big penalty for our sin, and so Christ stepped into the courtroom to take that penalty for us, or put his head under the headsman's axe, or however you want to, to phrase it. And if you've read any of my work before, on my blog or ap- academic papers or anything, you will know that I am not a fan of penal substitution at all. I think it gives an inherent split between persons of the Trinity, particularly between the Father and the Son, and almost ignores the Holy Spirit altogether. I think it has a focus on punishment rather than restoration and healing. And I think it's sort of an overly simplistic relational dynamic, and these are just some of the key problems. But, okay, this is not a theology podcast. Uh, I won't <laughs> I won't go in that direction too much, and honestly... To be, to be clear here, whatever your view of the atonement, even if it's penal substitution, I think what I'm about to say can fit in just fine. But I just wanted to clarify that, uh, well, the way that I phrased that about Christ being concerned um, about what we owe him and being willing to let it go could be taken in a very interesting way by some more uh, traditional evangelical theologians even though penal substitution, by the way, theology side comment, is not the only traditional view of the cross. All right, I'll get off that soapbox, and I'm going to read from Marshall Davis's Christian translation of the Tao Te Ching as we transition into the section that I'm calling, just like this episode, Peace is Worth the Risk. Davis writes, When great evil occurs, great pain arises. How can good come out of evil? Therefore, Christ pays the debt and does not make others pay. He does what is right and does not insist on his rights. He is gracious to all and the wise accept his grace. So, before we get theological here, not in the same way I just did, but before we talk uh, specifically Christian terms, I do want to read a passage from Stefan Stenud's commentary And this is what inspired the title for this episode. He writes, It's a human tragedy indeed that animosity is so easily started and so painstaking to stop. Once aggression has been expressed and returned, bitterness lingers on whatever conclusion is reached. It can remain for hundreds of years through many generations, even when the original cause is forgotten. New reasons will be invented on the way. When bitterness remains, the animosity is renewed and enforced even by the most ridiculous little mishap. Making true and lasting peace between two enemies of old is as delicate a process as walking on thin ice. The same is true for a conflict that has escalated to severe violence. So many human shortcomings are involved such as our pride, our temper, and our distrust distrust in each other. 
fear might be the key ingredient here, as in so many other human failures. We dare do nothing else but prepare for the worst we suspect from our adversaries, and that's usually by doing it first out of fear, and disaster is bound to follow. Again, yielding is the only way out. If we have the courage and the unselfishness to begin by sacrifices of our own, then our enemy can begin to relax. Peace is not accomplished with swords drawn, and only by sheathing our own swords can we expect our enemies to do the same. Peace is worth the risk. Among historians, it's strongly believed that one of the most important reasons for the outbreak of World War II was the treaty after World War I. The victorious states demanded great sacrifices from Germany after the First War, so bitterness remained and continued to grow, making it much easier for Hitler to throw Germany into the Second War. The world community learned its lesson, and after World War II, the conquered nations were treated with some care and concern. They were completely disarmed, but that worked to their own economic advantage. No punishments were issued except for some German leaders in the Nuremberg trials, which came very close to complete failure. Nothing good comes out of striking at those who have already surrendered. Violent conflict is a tragedy. When it's ended, we should all concentrate on comforting and healing each other. Otherwise, it just has not ended. Okay, that was longer, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in this commentary. Making peace is a delicate process, as he says, because we're afraid of losing our own advantage, and then we tend to strike out before we are struck. And this can be externally striking out, but it can also be internal. Holding onto a grudge or mistrusting the other is a way of striking out, I think. And because we're, pre- we're preparing ourselves to see the worst in the other person rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt, rather than giving them a chance to redeem themselves in our eyes. And Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching goes beyond even this, though. He says that there's no need for others to redeem themselves in our eyes at all in order for us to make peace with the situation. So as promised, we're going to come back to Christ, and I think he is, as I said a little earlier, the prime example of not holding on to a grudge, both on a cosmic scale and on an intimately personal scale. Accepting his humiliation and accepting his execution was not just a way to sort of settle the accounts and pay our overdue bills to God. If... If it was that in some way, I think that's secondary at best when it comes to how we think about the cross and how we think about atonement and resurrection. The beauty of the crucifixion in all of its ugliness is that this is where we see the heart of God towards his creation. He's willing to go all the way to death at the hands of those he created. And in some of the most remarkable words ever uttered, he said, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right on the cross. And then by embracing that death in some strange and unexpected way, he overcame death once and for all. 
Christ shows us truly that peace is worth the risk. According to Paul in the book of Ephesians, one of the major goals and then the major results of the death and resurrection of Christ was not only to make peace between humans and God, but also, and this is key, to make peace between various tribes or groups or factions of humans. Specifically, he's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles who so often saw themselves as enemies, even uh, when they became followers of the way and members of the church, as we might say today. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For he himself, that is Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups, again Jews and Gentiles, he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. That is referring to both the Gentiles who were, as Paul says, far away and the Jews who were nearer to, um, to God in a sense. And this shows us above all that peace is worth the risk, at least in Christ's eyes. We have to sacrifice our pride and we have to sacrifice our will in one way or another in order to achieve it. But from the very heart of God on the cross, we learn that it is worth it. And we learn, and I'll just leave you with this, that peace is worth the risk. So think about what that means for you today. I'm sure there's some situation in your life, and if not, there will be one soon, where you have to decide that peace is worth the risk. Will you be willing to take that risk? Thanks so much for listening to this episode. It's crazy doing a shorter episode for once instead of them getting progressively longer. Um, and it was quite a, a blessing this week to do a little bit shorter because it's just been a crazy time for me. Um, as I shared on an ex uh, exclusive, I think I shared it as well on one of the last regular episodes, um, I recently started a master's level program in music composition for... Uh, film, TV, video games, other media, um, and it's been absolutely amazing. This is a, I've been a musician all my life. Um, this is a newer hobby, writing sort of instrumental or orchestral music, but um, it went from hobby to obsession, or maybe passion, then obsession, and now, uh, now hopefully future uh, career, because I know I won't be here in Lebanon uh, forever where I work. So anyway, um, it, it's kind of nice that the starting of that program, which is very intense, sort of overlaps just by a few weeks with, um, with the ending of this show. We're almost at chapter 81, and as I said earlier, I don't know what is going to happen next. I'll probably put out an episode to maybe ask for your ideas or feedback. If you want to send those now, you can just click on the contact button on my blog. Again, there's a link in the show notes. Um, I've thought about a few different ideas, but most of them would take a lot more preparation and work than I currently have the time or energy to put into. 
Um, I've thought about everything from uh, a Taoist reads Harry Potter to uh, maybe a series focusing on films or specific examples. Uh, I've thought about um, a Christian reads other Taoist Taoist texts other than uh, the Tao Te Ching. I've thought of so many different ideas, but I think all of them are a little bit too much for me to take on right now. But if you do have any ideas for things you'd like to hear, um, I've even thought about going back through the show, this is the lazy option, and going through episode by episode and then sort of giving comments on them now, two and a half years later after releasing them. But I don't know. Um, If you're enjoying this, though, I really just want to say thank you for listening. Um, There is a Patreon site, uh, which you can use to support me and my work benefits anywhere from two to fifteen dollars a month Um, if you're familiar with patreon it's a way to support content creators by small monthly donations in exchange for various benefits Um, if you have ever thought about signing up for that this is a good time to do so because there's probably only one month left that it will be open uh, unless i get this really massive stroke of support and inspiration to start something new but um, even if not, just want to thank you for the support. Uh, thank you for listening, as I said. And um, yeah, that's about all for now. I will look forward to sharing more maybe about that music project with you as well in the future. But for now, as always, just want to wish you grace and peace. Peace.